What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome to a very special episode of Action Movie Anatomy. Yes, today we turn 100, guys. 100 episodes, two years, and we saved this one, Heat. One of the greatest action films of all time for the 100th episode. Hang out with us while we break the whole thing down for you guys. We'll see you in a second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Makes it sound sweeter today. It does. It's because there's a bottle of scotch on the table. What's up, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy. We're here. We're back. It's yes. episode 100. You've been with us for two years and a hundred fucking episodes, and we're here to talk about heat. Oh my gosh, man! It's so crazy to think of the meetings that we had putting together this show and trying to design an outline for a movie. Just anything to talk about. Yeah, anything. I know. And here we are, two years later, a hundred episodes. Wow. A hundred bottles of scotch. A hundred bottles. <laughs> definitely a hundred bottles of what scotch. What you guys don't know is that in the pre-show notes every day, we would drink a full bottle of scotch. No, just kidding. <laughs> we would. Uh, we would. So, guys, we're back. We're here. We're talking about heat. It's a hundred episodes deep. And I have to say, before we get fully into everything, we got to start out with a few things. Um, yeah. We got to start out with some thank yous. Some huge shout-outs and thank yous. First of all, Kevin Undergar, Maria Menounos, uh, owners of the, of the company, just the best people in the world, the greatest mentors we could have, and the people that put us in position, you know, building the studio, uh, giving us an opportunity to do this show. So that's where we start. Yeah, believing in the idea that uh, you could intelligently talk about movies that people overlooked. Yes, absolutely. And beyond that, we we there's a laundry list, starting with Andrew's mother. Yes, um, <laughs> thank you, Mom. Uh, no, but Stephen Lemieux, executive producer of Popcorn Talk, who helped us develop the show in the, in the very first place. We've got Marissa Serafini up in the booth right now. What's up, Marissa? What's up, gentlemen? Congratulations on 100. Thank you. She's been there since, what, like episode two or three, I remember, in the old house. I mean, yeah, she's been there since day one. Yeah. Yeah, I remember day one. Marissa's been on an episode. We did a watch-along for Rocky IV. Uh, but nonetheless, just so many people. I mean, Mark, Donica, like I said, I don't want to yeah, start Jonathan, naming. yeah. We don't want to list every single person that works in this company. Because we're going to leave someone out. Because <laughs> they've all helped us. But for all the guests and all the engineers and, and everyone that believed in us, everyone that just watched our show, you guys, our fans. The fans. This... You're really the only, you guys are the main reason that we're alive. You yeah. are the only reason. Yeah, it's specifically Andrew. I found him in a ditch. No. <laughs> he did. He did. <laughs> uh, no, guys, it's just like you start out something with an idea, you want to do something fun, and two years later you look back and you've become fully entrenched in one genre. We, at this point, feel like a lot of the comments that we get or the tweets at us will say things like, when I got into this, I didn't know that there was so much depth to this genre. Yeah. And then I'll say, now I, now I think about it totally differently. And I think... It's not just you guys. It's we're the same way. We, you know, we loved the movies that we loved when we started it, but it wasn't about that. It was about we just wanted to laugh about the shit that we liked and talk about it. Now, a hundred episodes later, there's like a science to this. There's a science to it, and we've also, I mean, on top of that, the things. First of all, do you, actually, let's wait a second. Uh, there is a science <laughs> to this, but also it's like. The comments we get of people, hey, I'm, I'm, I was in the hospital. Me and my wife were separating. I'm going through a hard time financially. Whatever it may be. This is an escape for you guys. This is an escape for us, too. Yeah. We do this every single week. Ben and I, we've been good friends for years and years. We've had our ups and downs, as you do in friendship. And I don't. you guys probably could never tell, but we had like a problem in our friendship at yeah. one point. Yep. But this show was the only thing that made us yeah. continue to see each other yep. and work on our friendship and be amicable. And it's it's you guys and the fans. and, and it's This show has gotten every single one of us, including the two of us, 
through hard times. Yeah, a hundred percent. Which is so cool to me to hear. Though, like to, to make something about action movies to where you get to talk with your best buddy. Yeah, and then people reach out to you saying that you help them in their lives. Right, or like I didn't used to like Tom Cruise. Now yeah. I think he's the brilliant. It's just it's cool. Yeah. It's really cool, man. Yeah, it's been a good feeling. So we're gonna give a quick shout out. Uh, li- longtime listener to the show, Diana uh, and her husband Ryan, who I actually got to meet recently. You guys are amazing. You're so yes. awesome. Sent us this bottle of Lagavulin 16, a wonderful bottle of scotch. As a it's thank Ben's you. favorite scotch. Yeah, as a congratulations for 100, and uh, thank you so much. We just opened it. We were so excited to find out. That is more than generous. Uh, amazing. And I, I got to meet the two of you guys in Texas for a Magic the Gathering tournament that I, on my other podcast, the Masters of Modern, a Magic podcast, we ran a contest, and Ryan, you were on my team. Uh, you flew in, and, and it was awesome. Steve St. Clair, another another listener of that show, and the three of us were on a team in Texas, and I got to hang out with you guys all weekend. You were amazing. I'm so thank you so much. here with me. <laughs> Thank you so much for sending this bottle. We will enjoy it on air. And, uh, yeah, it was it's really nice of you. You guys are awesome. Yeah, I mean, you guys you guys really get us, yeah. I believe. <laughs> so, yes, Diana, thank you. Thank you for being a, a longtime fan of the show and uh, being with us through so many episodes. It's funny because Ryan told me when I met him that he started watching it episode 50. Uh, Which is The Rock. Yeah, because I advertised yeah. episode 50 on Masters of Modern. And he was like, oh, I'll check it out. And another listener on my anchor station, Brandon S. Russell, did the same thing. I started listening at 50 when you plugged because it on the, the show. Rock. Because yes. of The Rock. So we've had a bunch of people now that have been with us for, you know, f- at least 50 episodes. And, uh, yeah, it's just been it's just been fun, guys. Heat is one of my favorite films ever made. And we saved it for episode 100 for a very special reason. And, we- yeah, and dude... How many times are we going to do this on our show where one of us hasn't seen the movie? And I'd never really seen Heat. Right. You'd seen, like, bits and pieces here and there. Yeah, bits and pieces here and there. And, and like, when you told me, you're like, oh, yeah, and the shootout, man. Like, it's one of the greatest of all time. Like, yeah. you were saying it to a person that should know about it. Yeah, right. And you were like, you were sort of like, well, like, yeah, it'll probably I mean, be cool. It'll be good. Yeah, right. Yeah. So... Without further ado, guys, this is Action Movie Anatomy. This is episode 100, Covering Heat. Let's talk about our rules. Let's talk about our rules, guys. We cover action movies on the show on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking pop culture and all things pop culture. And the rules of action movie anatomy are as follows. Number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Uh, the hero of the story is debatable, but I guess one of them is a criminal, so... Yeah, so the real hero of this movie is is Pacino, the, the real hero. Yeah. But, but it's, it's the same thing as, as in any movie where you're rooting for the villain. <clears throat> you know, like, the real hero of Point Break is Keanu, but in your mind, it's Bodhi. Isn't it funny how these are two of my ten favorite films and the parallels between the way they're constructed? Oh, they're, it's they're so, so similar. funny. Yeah. And the hair is fantastic. The hair is fantastic. On, on uh, Kilmer. Um, so, yeah, I think it's fair to say that they both are playing by their own set of rules within their lives. So I think that's totally easy to say. The hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room, 100%. That's what this movie's all about. Is, uh, he <laughs> Someone's like, sh- did Andrew just pour a couple drops and then fill his own glass? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh god I, I guess I kind of did <laughs> oops um, so, so that was a real thing huh I, I was like sure it wasn't and somebody in the chat noticed someone, Joel noticed thank you Joel <laughs> Excellent. God damn it, Joel. <laughs> God damn it, let me finish. <laughs> so, uh, rule number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room. I mean, that's like the, the whole movie. Definitely. He does this shop. He does that shop. He thinks, you know, he's real impressed by you. Like, definitely. That's what that's all about. Rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. Totally. It's a, it's a policeman chasing a, basically, a mercenary. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's also, like, if you talk about um, the hero and the villain being the smartest people in the room, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro are two of the smartest actors of all time. Yeah. Going head to head. It was... I mean, I don't know what the equivalent is now because, like, someone like Clooney yeah. isn't really... I wouldn't really want to see him in one of these roles. 
Well, it's fascinating, and we will talk a lot about this, because there's a lot of discussion about Pacino and De Niro we're going to get into. Yeah. But what people have to understand about this movie is that in 1995, putting Al Pacino and Robert De Niro in a scene together for the first time in the history of film... There's not really an equivalent anymore because of what's changed with movie stars. Exactly. There's not. Like, I mean, they, they advertise it as De Niro, Pacino, Showdown. Yeah. It's like, in this day and age, not only do we not have movie stars like we used to have movie stars, but the people that are movie stars aren't actors that were trained at the actor studio who come from theater. It's like, yeah. they don't get to have that kind of presence. These guys had the kind of presence in the industry that it was like, holy shit, they're going to be on screen together in the same movie? And yeah. Like, wow, Like this is an event. This is something we all have to watch. Yeah. You couldn't really... It would feel different to do it today. And we're going to recast this film later, so we're going to talk yeah, about who and you would... guys. You guys actually get ready for your recast. We're going to recast the four main characters. I know that there's no females, unfortunately, but in that, we're going to do uh, Pacino, De Niro, Kilmer, and uh, Sizemore. Yep. So get your uh, recast ready for a modern recast. Uh we got another. We got another rule. Yes, rule yes, number four. The, mo- the movie contains a minimum of one explosion, definitely, because mm-hmm. uh, like any good criminal, you have to employ explosions. They blow up the ambulance at the beginning to escape. Yep. yep. Um, this. So I should make it clear for everybody. This is one of my. It's probably. I think this is the seventh or eighth favorite film for me ever made. And you've seen it a lot, right? I think I've seen this movie twenty five times, thirty times. It's like I I know this movie inside and out, and uh, I actually got to attend the twenty fifth anniversary screening of this at the, whatever, the New Regency, or whatever the theater's called, in Westwood, two, two and a half weeks ago with Michael Mann there. Yeah. And I got to watch a live Q&A with Michael Mann afterwards. It was crazy. Christian Bale was there. Uh, Michael T. Williamson, I took a picture with him. It was uh, Bosco. It was amazing. Well, what I wanted you to talk about was that uh, it was a cool um, Q&A, and <laughs> these morons in L.A., it just shows how ridiculous it is to live in this town, guys. If Michael Mann came to your city, wherever you live, you would ask an intelligent question, or something like, there might be someone being like, hey, put me in your movie, and people would laugh. But that happened here. It's a that real happened thing. in Los Angeles. Someone like started pitching a script, and man had to cut him off and be like, you can talk to my agent. He's in the third row. It was pretty embarrassing. And then someone else was like, put me in one of your movies. Yeah. Ben didn't get to ask a question, <laughs> which I think is a travesty, because uh, your question is genius. So I had a good cheers. question. Cheers. And, uh, what was your question? It's, it's really smart. And a lot of people don't know about the parallel between Collateral and Heat. I, I didn't. Yeah. So if you guys remember at the end of Collateral when... Uh, Vincent dies on the train and uh, the train rolls in and Jamie Foxx and Jada Pinkett get out well the opening shot to heat as the train rolls in is supposed to symbolize the same moment it's actually the same location it's the same train so that was, a, that was intentional he wanted to like sort of have an LA connection between these two films even though they were made 10 years apart mm-hmm. There's also parallels between the way Vincent conducts himself and the way Neil oh, conducts so himself. Good. Um, they, he says that he designed the original, the gray suits for De Niro to be like uh, to be to, to blend in. He yeah, he didn't want him to stand out anywhere he went. Which, if you think about it, is a hundred percent the same tactic that Vincent uh, uh, in Collateral yeah, would yeah, employ yeah, yeah. because he wants to blend in. Um, so there's a lot of parallels, I think, between these two characters. Michael Mann is all about like these cool criminals, and that's mm-hmm. what these two, these two guys are. So anyway, I wanted to say to Michael Mann at the time. You shot one film in Los Angeles 22 years ago and another one 10 years ago. Both of them as kind of these love letters to the geography of L.A. Filming another film in L.A. today, would you shoot the city the same way and does it still have the same romantic vibe to you? Because he's from Chicago. L.A. was a choice that he made. Yeah, he loves L.A. And and in this movie, I think there's, what, over 100 locations or 80 locations? There's a lot of locations. He didn't use one soundstage. And for those of you that don't know what that means, um, it's basically just... Michael Mann and Robert De Niro and Al Pacino are in location after location. They're in restaurants. They're in banks. They're on the street. They're at diners. They're not in studios. They're not at Warner Brothers. They're not at Paramount. They're 
living in the city. They're entrenched in the people, in the geography, which is why in both of those films, you can really feel the city. You yeah. can really feel how important that part is. And, and I got to say, man, the, the shootout in downtown L.A., if you live in L.A., after living in L.A., I, I know that yeah. watching that scene 10 years ago, yeah. it wouldn't have affected me the same way it did. I drive over that over every day when we finished filming uh, in downtown for the last two weeks of the movie. I, I drove that exact route. Yeah. So, like, to think of that going on and, and like, how big that must have been, how loud yeah. that must have been, it's, it's horrifying and yeah. amazing. Yep. Yeah. Totally. So, uh, where were we? I, I, lost I got so excited. We're yeah. about to watch the trailer is what we're going to do. We're going to watch the trailer for Heat. But before we do, guys, I should just let everybody know we are in the chat. Jump on the live chat. Mm-hmm. Hang out with us. Follow on Twitter, guys. You can follow either one of us personally, Ben Bateman Media. At Andrew Guy. And, of course, the show's Twitter is at AMA Podcast. We interact on there quite a bit. And now there's an Action Movie Anatomy fan page. It's got like 100 people in there. On Facebook, made by fans very recently. Again, guys, we're so appreciative, and we've been interacting on there. It's actually been a lot of fun. So check that out. Uh, and uh, without further ado, let's get into the trailer for Heat. Yeah. Yeah, that fan page is cool, man. It's really fun, yeah. I can feel it. Callie's gone. Bye bye. Bye bye. And then you hunt them down. That's the only thing you're committed to. That's pretty sweet. Keeps me sharp on the edge where I gotta be. Already, just that alone, if you're a fan of the theaters. Whoa. Crime movie? That you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner. I do love that line too. Because I spend all my time chasing guys like you around the block. I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Try to stop guys like me. You've been walking through our life dead. All I am what I'm after. is what I'm going after. From the Godfather to Scent of a Woman. What do we got? Oh, from what do we got? What do we got? Assume they got our phones. Assume they got our houses. That music is so perfect. Their yeah, plays at the end of the movie. A legacy we just got made. Interesting. I want full surveillance. That's 24 hours. So the voiceover is all about them. Seven days yeah, as actors, now, not as good. For the first time. Well, that's what America's I'm saying, man. Two like, most electrifying actors collide. Yeah. We've got four Academy Award winners in this movie. This guy is more cheap than she pays. The bank is worth the risk. Oh, this trailer is fucking awesome. Oh, it's so good. This crew is good. Ha! 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 the risks you take, like in risk versus reward, baby. You're fugitive number one with a bullet. I'm double the worst trouble you ever had. That's not in the movie. I'm, I'm double the worst trouble you ever had. Yeah, it's cutscene. I won't like it, but I'll tell you, you are going down. What if you do got me boxed in? And I gotta put you down. Because no matter what, you will not get in my way. I will not hesitate for a second. Yeah, I will. This trailer is so it's good. so good. I want to go watch the movie again right now. All three hours of it. El Pacino. Interesting. That scene Robert with De Niro. Ashley Judd and Malcolm Reagan now. It's not the movie either. In a Michael Mann film. That's it? So good. Oh, crazy. Such a good That's trailer. That's a fucking great trailer. But you know, I always say this, but music is everything. Because that music always. is so good, and it feel, it's so epic in that trailer. Oh, of course. Music is everything. That's, I mean... That's why all the greatest films have some of the greatest soundtracks. Yeah, that's you know? a great fucking trailer. Uh, 
Wow. Okay, guys, so we are going to get into the very first segment of our show here. If you follow along, if you watch the show or listen, you know exactly what this is, and this is going to be thesis statement. This is that moment, that bold statement that you make about a film where it's, this is my biggest idea. It's almost like rooted in hyperbole, the greatest this, the only this, the first this, the last this. Shouldn't be, this is my favorite Pacino movie. No. It should be something much this bigger than that. This is Pacino's greatest film because of this. That yes. is why. And, uh... We're doing something special today. We're doing something special today. So, guys, I think if you watch this film, it's very difficult to not have the same thesis statement that we have here. Which it, is, it feels almost wrong if you don't agree. Yeah, because in retrospect, so I saw this film for the very first time in probably 2003. At that point, it was eight years past this, and it was a classic, but mm-hmm. it wasn't a classic like today it's a classic. Right, and I watched this movie for the first time eight days ago. The shootout then was considered to be, like, iconic. It's aged so well. It hasn't aged. Yeah, exactly. The, this is the greatest shootout in movie history. That and is our thesis. It's a collective thesis. That's not normally how we do things here. Normally, Andrew and I will each come up with our own thesis and kind of surprise each other with it on the, on the show. Yeah, and we'll support it throughout. But we there, there has been several times, and, and there's been moments on shows where we come in, we have basically the same thesis in our pre-show discussion, and we'll switch it up, But because we usually have, like, a couple. Right. We had a couple, kind of, for this, but this is such a huge statement, and especially for our show, especially for the 100th episode, to say something is the greatest anything ever in film is huge. Especially when we're an action movie show, which is one of the big reasons, guys, that we wanted to save this for the 100th episode is because that's such a gigantic... Think about about your favorite gunfights, your favorite shootouts, and your favorite films ever. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so here we go. We got someone right here, uh, Joel Hammett, saying this is the greatest shootout in, in, in a movie ever, and Soj King, 305... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Marcel B saying that's too easy. You're right. It is, it too, is easy. too easy, but you have to pay tribute to where you have to give credit where credit's due. So I will throw in mine my second one, the one that I was sort of toying around with before we decided to go with ours. Okay. Just so you just so there is a second one. And I think we'll discuss this a little bit more later when we talk about recast, but this film would be impossible to remake today. And the reason I say it is because of exactly what we just saw in the trailer and what we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as these two guys in this day and age for films. It doesn't exist anymore. You could pick the two biggest actors with the greatest lineage of films over the last 25 years and try to make the film like this. You don't get the same kind of buzz, first of all, for a non-franchise film. So you have to create the idea that this is a big event based on the fact that it's an original story and original script. It's not Transformers. This is not a superhero film. This isn't based on a book. This is an original film by a director doing great work. And then on top of that, you have to put these two actors in the film where people are like, yeah, I care enough about these guys who are not, you know, six-pack ab 32-year-olds in in comic book movies. These These are real people. These are guys in their 50s. They're classically trained actors who came from the actor's studio and other places like that who defined their generations as actors. You couldn't make it again. It wouldn't... It wouldn't be what it is. No, there's no way to create the hype and the buzz of where you got a trailer about a, an awesome crime movie and all you talk about is the people in it. And on top of that, no studio would give somebody like Michael Mann the free reign to make this again. No. Because they tried. It's called The Dark Knight, and it's a Batman movie. Yeah. And it's awesome, but it's a Batman movie, which is why he gets to do which what Which is he does. why it's free reign, and it's directed by Christopher Nolan, who at the time... I mean, Michael Mann was not the greatest director in the world at no. the time. Christopher Nolan is arguably the greatest director in the world still. Yeah, right. And the only reason he got the budget to do that kind of thing is because it's a Batman movie. Exactly. If it was an original script, he would have not got it. He no. would have not done... And se- he would have not been able to reverse the role of those movies. 100%. So that would be my second <clears> thesis, <throat> and I think it's a strong one, but again, it's like... It doesn't trump the first one, which yeah. is just like, it. you just have to call it out. Cause yeah, and my second one was kind of the same thing. It's basically you can't create a movie 
hyped on star power the way that they did on this. Yeah. You can't advertise a movie solely off of star power the way they did with this. They do it now with like, oh, The Rock and Zac Efron are in Baywatch. Did you go see it? Nope. Am I going to go see it? No. The Rock's the biggest actor in the world right now. He is an icon. Yeah. He is he has transcended the fame of an actor. Yep. He um but again, you guys just watched the trailer with us. That was an amazing trailer and they yeah. didn't even talk about the movie. No, it's just like they it's just, just give Pacino you, and De Niro. Just give you a bunch of lines. So uh, let's move into our second part of the show, guys. This is generally speaking the most exciting part of the show. Everyone loves this. Uh, we'll swing back around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's guys, it's the fist bump moment. So it's that moment when you're watching a film, something happens, you look around, you look at your buddy, you're like, "Are you seeing this right now? This is so awesome!" Yeah. You, you kind of have that that quiet, like, "I get to watch the rest of this movie." There's two hours and twenty minutes left. Oh my fucking god, this is so exciting. That's what fist pump moment is, guys. And after 100, 100 plus fist pump moments now, because sometimes we do more than one, we're going to talk about our fist pump moments in Heat, which I think we have to jump around a little bit. I, I was going to say, I can't wait to hear what yours is. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be so hard for you. It is. So what, this is what I'll say, because the one I have written down... I know tells, a couple of them. Yeah. Is it the Kilmer? Is that the first the one? The Smile? Yeah. Yeah. Because it was as a kid, it was always my favorite. Yeah. The shoot... Okay, so... The, and, it's, and it's... Oh, it's laid out so perfectly by Sizemore coming out first. Yep. Yeah. So guys, the shootout itself is amazing. But the heist leading up to the shootout is is special in its own way as well because the thing Michael Mann is so good at is he makes you feel like when you're watching something in the world of crime, this is exactly how the best people at it would do it. Like this is real. Like this is the this is the best version of something in real life that we can make. So yeah. as you're watching them in that bank heist, it's like everything is is moving so quick and like they've they've used a lot of Pacino's exposition to kind of explain how tight and proficient this crew is. Yeah. Um, you know, watching it again now and in the theater, I gotta say, watching it in a fucking theater. Oh my it, gosh! I wish I would have been able to see <laughs> that shootout in the theater, man. It's jaw dropping. It was crazy. It was, and it's like an almost IMAX sized theater. It's a huge theater. Yeah. Man said afterwards, he's like, "It's you know, this is an old LA movie in an old LA theater, and uh, that's why we're watching it here." And so cool. Yeah, but so so afterwards, when they come out of the bank, Sizemore gets in the car and he's like, "We did it, Neil. We did it." And Kilmer's walking, and that that car moves for a second. And you see Kilmer's face, and he sees the cops, and, and he, he's smiling, and he drops the smile, and, and in the same picks motion, the picks up the gun, and, and just starts, opens fire. Yep. If you've never seen the movie before, it's so, like, startling. It's so startling. He's firing, firing an automatic weapon across moving traffic in the middle of L.A. Yeah, right, like, right over your friend. And, and like, the other thing, too, is then Sizemore picks up his gun and starts shooting the car. The volume of a weapon going off in a car yeah. is so deafening. It's crazy. Yeah, that look is so great. It's such a yeah, because it's like where it's where you the know, scene turns on a dime. You know, as a bank robber, or you know, as a guy that's in that position, that's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Right, it's gonna happen. And he's special. He's, what was he, SIS? Like that's what they were saying. So yeah, he's got all the training. Like he's yeah. So that scene is insane to me. I think that's probably still to this day probably my all time fist pump. But I mean, again, there's so many. Yeah, that it's hard to decide. So I want to talk about the, the audience here has a bunch of them going on. A couple people are shouting out your uh, fist pump film club on Anchor. Oh, thanks. Awesome. Uh, we got we just got made is a great one. Yeah, Kilmer avoiding being arrested uh, after seeing his wife is one of my favorites. Her moving the hand, just yeah. the hand wave alone. And he looks is, like so fucked up. Yeah, he's so face. messed up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he get when he, when he gets pulled over yep. and gets away, yep. that's a huge fist pump. Uh, the ambush in the parking lot. He's behind you. Or yeah. behind you to your left. Yeah, behind uh, you on the left. Um, so good. But my fist pump, and it's so weird because. I think the first time I, I watched it, because I watched it twice in the yeah. last week, um, 
We rewound it. Yeah. We rewound and watched the final scene. And you didn't like it. You said the first time you liked that fell flat for me, right? It fell flat for me, but I did love the handhold. Oh, yeah. I it's, love it. It's awesome. And there's a reason behind that. People say it's too Hollywood, it's too glamorized, blah, blah, blah. No, man, it's not. Because this is a cat and mouse game. This is a game of death. Someone has to die at the end of this. That's how it goes. Like, imagine stakes like that in anything you do. Yeah. It's not a game. It's not a basketball game where someone wins and loses, you get a ring. It's like you're dead. Yeah. And that's the only way this was ever going to end for these two guys. Yep. And the amount that it brought both of them to the edge, pushed them to their limits, brought them to just like, I mean, Pacino's wife and, you know, yeah, De Niro. Yeah, yeah. You go through something like that with someone, whether you're your adversary or not, and there's that moment yep. of like, yep, get it. Yeah, too, because also, dirt, like, there's that feeling of he says, he says to his wife, all I am is what I'm going after. So it's it's kind of this idea that like you were my greatest foe. It's that respect kill. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's that, it's that's the Bill the Butcher killing Liam Neeson where he's like he was the greatest he was opponent. The greatest opponent. Yeah, and yeah. it's also it's also one of those things. It's like you were my greatest life's work. Now what? Yeah. There's nothing else. Exactly. Exactly. Like he's just really he's accomplished something. I, I think the handhold's brilliant. I I've always it's loved so- it. So so Hollywood, but so beautiful. Cool piece of trivia, guys. Anybody who doesn't know, it's the same song that's playing in the trailer there, uh, that big sweeping synthy score, is actually composed by Moby. And it's before mm-hmm. before Moby was, was Moby. Big, yeah. Before he, he was had, huge. He had two songs in this. Uh, yeah, and that's and that's the famous one. And it's crazy again that like Heat just has like a Moby song, just you know, low key at the end of the film to, to like cap it off. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of fist pump moments. You know, another one because we're not gonna get to talk about all of them, but. Everyone wants to watch Heat so badly in the chat right now. Yeah. We are doing our jobs yeah. so well. Yeah, I want to watch Heat <laughs> Me too. right now. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that I love is when, uh, after the first heist, after the first heist, which is like brilliant, yeah. but I love You're when... you talking about the, the armored car? Yeah. yeah. They show up and it opens off with Pacino being like, I'm the best at what I do. Let me explain to you guys why I'm the smartest guy in the room. And in doing it, I'm also going to explain to you why they're the smartest guys in the room. Yeah. Because when he shows up first, he's like... It's a good location. There's good exits here. You got freeways on either side, right? He's like three minutes in and out, and he's like, which means they they got our response time, mobilized it. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll, right? Because he's like, you know, once it once it escalated to murder one beef, why risk it? Why leave a witness? You know, drop a hat. These guys will rock and roll. And then he walks over and he's like, the shape charge shows that they are technically proficient. Yeah. And he goes, and then he goes. Uh, trace it anyway you know he's like if we're lucky it's exotic we can trace it like just it's the way that he's directing traffic he's going through you do this you do this I'm the fucking expert I know everything I'm the smartest guy in the room I know everything what'd she say she's like uh, you gonna take this he goes does this look like gangbangers to you you know yeah I'm yeah, gonna take it. I'm yeah. gonna take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, yeah. I I gonna take it. Yeah. He's like annoyed with everyone throughout the movie, which is one of the best parts. He's got no patience for anyone. And that's like one of his, the greatest qualities. There's that line at the end on the phone when the guy's gotten his arm broken uh, from the shootout. Mm-hmm. He goes through the whole list of them, like on the phone about the CI. And then he's like, and he goes, uh, How you doing? He goes, I'm banged up, but I'll live. He goes, Okay. And then he hangs up. Yeah, okay. That's it. Yeah, he hangs up. <laughs> yep, yep. I love that. It's like how he handles himself all throughout the movie. And it's just like, it's really endearing because people have people have criticized Pacino's performance in this movie. It gets it gets shit. People say that he phoned it in, that he was just super Pacino about it. Mm-hmm. But when you find out that he has the coke habit in the earlier version of the script, yeah. it makes the whole way that he handles himself so much more believable, so much more erratic. It also, I, I wish they wouldn't have cut it. Yeah, I know. You know, it seemed even if it was just like a bump here and there, like a real quick something, just anything really subtle, driving and wiping his teeth or yeah, something, anything, just yeah. something like that. So because. 
because then because it does come off as just Pacino being Pacino. If yeah, you don't know that, totally, uh, it's true, guys. Moby does have a, 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 a soft spot on the show. Strange, extreme ways are back again. It's a good, it's a good point. <laughs> no more born movies ever again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, all right, so I want to loop back around to our thesis because I thought that was an interesting discussion. I don't want to leave our fans out in the dust with thinking that. We just went ahead and said that it was the best shootout ever, and there's no argument. You guys can't argue. We don't argue. Yeah. I think for us, I think for us, we agree that it's the greatest shootout. Now, what is the list of the greatest shootouts? What are the, like, maybe, like, the top three that are in discussion usually? We can... We can reference the ones that we think are the best, like our favorites, Mm -hmm. but the greatest ever list gets into a murky territory because a lot of the classic ones are referenced from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, and it's not that we haven't seen the movies. We've seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. We've seen The Wild Bunch. It's not that those movies aren't relevant to us. It's that that's not where we... We don't spend our time reviewing those films, re-watching those shootouts, so mm-hmm. we can compare them to Heat. It's like, they're not really on our radar as much, so it gets into murky territory. But we're going to talk about our three of our favorites, though. Yeah. And uh, the first one that popped in my head... Uh, and honestly, it was, it was what popped in my head when watching Heat was the Matrix shootout in the lobby. The, the lobby greatest scene. shootout ever in movie history in my mind until I saw this. Yeah. And there's so many reasons for it. Yeah. And I'm going to defend why I think that Heat is better because up until last week, I was sure it wasn't. Yeah. Um, 800 to 1,000 live rounds used every take. Yeah. Doing this in downtown Los Angeles, not a soundstage. That was a soundstage in the Matrix. Yeah. This is in the middle of the fucking street in downtown Los Angeles in the middle of the business district right next to an on-ramp for one of the biggest freeways in Los Angeles okay you've also got the fact they can only shoot on weekends so they're coming back every every week and they're setting back up on the weekend and so you're talking about we were talking about this a second ago but like so so one of the sound designers was like okay we're gonna try to you know yeah, yeah, mock this up is great we're gonna try to mock up the sound and give you know basically some fake sound so that we don't have and they showed it to Michael Mann and he was like that sounds terrible is, and you know why? He's like, because it's not real. We're going to shoot it real. Yeah. We're gonna, so 800,000 rounds of actual volume, like not bullets, but actual volume, volume blanks yeah. shooting. And on top of that, because the buildings are so high, because you're shooting next to all these sky- skyscrapers, the sound would hang in the air. It would just reverberate and echo for like eight to ten seconds, which means like during the shootout when they're shooting and they pause for just a second and for a hear, breath. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like, go! And they're screaming over the echoes, like screaming at each other. And there's nothing happening. There's no sound. It's just the echo. Yeah, and these guys had to all go through high power profi- weapons proficiency training. Val Kilmer's reloading is used to train new Marines on how to do a rapid reload in, in, uh, in a firefight. Uh, this sh- fight was shown to police officers on how to retreat in a firefight when it's just the three of you and, and the way you do it and that's what's so brilliant about this 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 shootout too is that like they're doing it tactically correct what do you do when you're in the position you fight your way out of it so yeah this is interesting so this is some stuff that uh, michael mann was saying during this q a so a couple things he mentions that first of all all of the actors were like okay yeah yeah i'm excited i'll train with the guns for sure i'll, I'll you know put in the work except for pacino who was like Oh, I don't want to do this. And he was like, I'm an actor. I'll act like I know how to use a gun. I'll be fine yeah, at it. Yeah, and he was yeah. like, no, Al, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to do it. So that was cool. And then he talks about, yeah, in this situation, what they did was they were like, all right, 
We're surrounded by police on either sides, but we have greater weapons than they have, which yep. means we have to try to fight our way out of this. If we try to retreat, we will lose. Yep. So we have to. They will, there's more numbers. Yeah. They will win with numbers. So we have to advance up the street behind cars, one car at a time, taking out what's in front of us to Directly, try to get away. Directly, yeah. Which is like, and, that's, and apparently, and tactically, that's what they really would have done. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. And they use that video. They use heat yeah. for numerous military and police training. Yeah. So, to go back to my point of saying that the Matrix shootout was better than this prior, look. The coolest thing about the Matrix is like the slow mo and the jumping and the fighting and, and the crazy ass moves. It's not the actual shooting; it's how they go about doing it. That scene, also in my opinion, has aged a little. So when we watched it last time, it was still fine. It was still sweet, but it wasn't the same as the first time no, you saw it. Because it like because a lot of that other stuff you're talking about, the jumping, the flying, was still cool, but like it's not really a shootout because they can't really die. They're, yeah, like they can, but they're they're exactly. superheroes exactly. and the other guys are. And that's my other point. Yeah, they can't die. No one expects Neo or Trinity to die in that shootout. Yeah. I was expecting everyone to die except for maybe De Niro and Pacino in this. Yep. I, I didn't think Kilmer was going to live. Yep. Uh, I knew Sizemore was going to die. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and And the driver as well. I knew he was going to die. Allstate guy. But, Dennis, yeah, Allstate. Dennis, Dennis Haysbert. But, again, so, and you guys are talking about in the chat. I think you guys completely agree. The Matrix feels like a video game. Yep. Uh, this is real. This is so real. So, again, to argue my point... The shootout in this is way better than The Matrix for, for so many reasons. You're going to talk the realism. You're going to talk the sound. You're going to talk just the tactical uh, yeah. precision of it. So what's what's one that pops in your mind? Uh, I think the other one, and it's funny because we referenced this on another show we were doing. It's actually, I think, a show that's going to air tomorrow. Guys, by the way, if you don't know this, tomorrow and the next day we are organizing and counting down the 100 films ever done on Action Movie Anatomy in reverse order. So not the 100 greatest films, but the 100 films we've done, we're ranking them 100 to 1. That's yeah. going to air tomorrow and the next day. And I think we make reference to this in John Wick, but it's that John Wick initial... Oh, no, no, it was last week on the show, Right. It was last week on the show talking about a shootout. Yeah. Fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fights. Yep, That's yep. what it was. We actually called it a fight because he's like fighting with his guns. But it's that initial shootout that John Wick has in his house in the very first film where the, all the thugs show up and he kills everyone. It's like that to me is the coolest scene in the entire John Wick yeah. uh, canon so yeah, far. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just so rad the way he's shooting over people's shoulders and grabbing arms and like using his guns so efficiently. That shootout is sick. But I also love. Are you worried that Keanu's going to die? What? Oh, in that scene? Yeah. No, definitely not. Of course not. It's yeah, the opening so. scene of the movie. Well, it's just totally different, which is why, yeah. the, I mean, the stakes in this film are much higher. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a superhero movie again. Kind of. course, of. yeah. Um, um, oh, sorry, continue. I was going to say, the other one, there's a club scene in the first Sean Wick that's badass, that's really cool, but it actually reminds me of another Michael Mann shootout, which is the Tom Cruise shootout from Collateral when he goes into that club. And he has to take out each of those guards one at a time. Yeah. And then when shit goes down and he just starts shooting, yeah. it's just rad. Yeah, all the double taps of the chest, one of the head. It's it's super sweet. But again, it's not the same. It's all, it's again, superhero. Tom Cruise isn't going to die in that scene. Um, another uh, honorable mention is the town. Yep. I think the town is just a baby version of this. I think yeah. the town is just what this wishes it could have done, even though it was done with a higher budget 20 years later. Movies owe a lot to Heat. It's something we've learned. Oh, absolutely. You I know. mean, The Dark Knight, Bank Heist, yeah. is based off of Heat. Yeah, it's one of Nolan's favorite films. Yeah. Um, another one is the Kingsman fight. Again, superhero. Yeah. Even though he dies in that scene, yeah. you don't ever think he's going to die in the church. The crime genre these days has been done to death, so it's really difficult for them to create stakes that resonate with people anymore. Like, it's hard to watch a crime movie anymore and feel like it's epic in a way this feels epic while you're watching it. When they say a crime epic, this truly is a crime epic. Yeah. They're hard to make. You see you see movies come out like... I mean, the last crime epic would be Departed, right? Yeah. But it doesn't even feel as epic. It's not an epic, though. No. It's like a... 
Yeah, it, there's a specific quality. I mean, Departed is not far from it. Yeah, yeah. It is, it's a great crime film. Uh, you know, the town is trying to do it. Yeah, the town is close. But again, it doesn't feel... It, it's weird, because it, for a crime epic to feel large, it is still in such a small Scale. part of yeah. town, you know, or a city or something like that. It's Big interesting. Time. So anyway, guys, that's kind of where we leave off. Those are some of the three that we wanted to mention. As we said, uh, Butch Cassidy, The Wild Bunch, Assassins. Hard-boiled. Uh, People hard, talk about that. Yeah, hard-boiled. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, like, super sweet classic shootouts. Uh, but again, they, they age so badly that it's like... Mm-hmm. It's very rare to watch something like this. When you go back and watch it 22 years later, it's still every bit as impactful. That doesn't really happen. Yeah, I mean, we've we've done this show long enough to know that, like, go back and watch Aliens, go back and watch Jurassic Park, and go back and watch this, and, and then you watch Mad Max. And if, let's say, 30 years from now, you go back and you watch Mad Max Fury Road, practical effects, yep. practical sound... Real shit. Yep. Always better. And Always it doesn't age because it's real. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Moving on to the next part of the show. We're going to get into star profiles. This is a fascinating star profile. So you have Pacino versus De Niro. <laughs> uh, as we said earlier, it's the it, they were the definitive actors of their generation. Now, yeah. to make it clear to people, it's not that they were the only guys. It's not really that. It's like you could have, on their level in 95, the names that you would have come up that had been famous since the 60s and 70s would have been, you would have had Hackman. You would have, because he, French Connection 71, best this picture. This way over my head. Yeah, but so, so the guys, yeah. Hackman is one of these guys. You would have had Warren Beatty. He would have been a guy, Jack Nicholson. This is the list. You're talking, it's a very. But these guys are like 20 years older than these guys. No, they're the same age. It's the same, it's the same really? years, but it's their, it's literally their peers through like the 70s and 80s. It's right. the guys that were in the films like The Godfather and The French Connection mm-hmm. and. You know, there's there's not very many of these guys. And you start to even look at the second tier of, like, the Martin Sheens, and it's like, yeah, you were famous, but you were never quite as big. Right. So it's really a very small list. And Eastwoods, the Hestons. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. The guys on that level. So Pacino and De Niro had defined their eras through awards nominations and famous films. Again, like, it makes sense that in The Godfather Part Two, they they're both in the film. It wins Best Picture. They just don't have a scene together because yeah. they're in different timelines. So for this movie to get made in 95... Pacino and De Niro were man's first choices. Clearly. He was like, there's, I don't want to put anyone else in this movie. And he had wanted to make this movie for 15 years. The script yeah. had been around since like the mid 80s um, or earlier even. And he had even made a TV version of this movie called LA Takedown a few years prior, which it doesn't have stars in it. So like he had really envisioned what this movie was going to be for a long time. Mm-hmm. So then talking about their careers, if you look at it, it's like Pacino. Two Bits, 95, not a movie I particularly remember. Carlito's Way, 93, Brian De Palma. That's a classic yeah, to some and people. and he wins. Son of a Woman in 92, and he's in Glen Gary, Glen Ross there mm-hmm. with a supporting actor nom. So Pacino, uh, what people don't remember is that the mid to late 80s were soft for him. He has a big comeback with Dick Tracy, Glen Gary, Son of a Woman, Carlito's Way. So this is sort of like one of the great all-time actors on the tail end of his comeback. Because after this, he's in things, but it's different. It's like, this is really where he peaks. Yeah. And then with De Niro, Casino 95 is a big deal. <laughs> yeah. It's huge. He was still kind of in the tail end of his, like, I'm the fucking guy run. Because, like, Cape Fear is 91. Um, he's still in a lot of really big movies. Goodfellas is 90. So this comes out, it's, but it's weird because it's really the end for both of them. This is like the latest you could have done this. Like Ronan comes out in 98. That's a cool that's movie. A good, that, that's actually a good thesis too. This is the latest you could have done this. Yeah. If you wait five years, because if you look at Pacino and De Niro by 2000, 2001, it was like, you know, movies like Men of Honor and movies like Analyze This and Showtime. Like De Niro had got, yeah. Well, see, that's okay. Rocky so I think this is a really interesting discussion. Um We've got two of the greatest, most respected actors ever yep. on our show today. 
and we have this thing that we do. Yep. Over under properly rated. Yeah. Can we do that right now for both of them? Well, this is interesting because we were watching Heat, and you you looked over at me, and you were like, you know what? I think I don't think you said about Pacino, but you were like De Niro. I feel like he's been put in a really good position his whole career. You were like, I feel like he's just gotten good role after good role. I was very role. drunk. No, no, I'm not saying you. Made, but <laughs> no, I'm no, saying no. you were making the statement that like I yeah. feel like he's gotten to work with Scorsese his whole career, and it's he looks and feels like he's playing De Niro, which yeah. every one of the actors we just talked about, literally every one of them, by the end of their run, starts to just play a version of themselves. Mm-hmm. They stop disappearing into roles. Nicholson didn't. See, I, we disagree on this. I think Nicholson is clearly Nicholson. I think Departed's a great movie, and I think he's a great version of Nicholson, but he still feels like he's Jack Nicholson to me. That's not Jack Nicholson. You don't agree? No. Eh. Yeah. I love him. I mean, I mean, look, dude, I'm an actor. There's yeah. always going to be parts of you that are going to shine through your character. That's for sure. Um, it's interesting, because after reading more about the trivia of this show... Okay, so who do we start with? De Niro or Pacino? Let's, let's start with Pacino. Okay. Pacino. Um, so overrated, underrated, properly rated today. Not all time, but right now, how does the world feel about this person? Oh, really? You don't think it's all time? Well, I mean, I think it references all time. Yeah, I just yeah. mean in the zeitgeist of the current, like, talking about this, when somebody's watching the show who's 22, hmm. who didn't grow up watching yeah. Godfather. Then I would say Al Pacino's properly rated, for sure. Yeah. I think that the dude, look, he's great. Like, he's he's got charisma about him. He's got this conviction about the way he delivers his lines. Uh, like you're talking about with all those guys and how they live as themselves on screen as, as characters that's the thing about these guys that makes them so fantastic is they are able to be Al Pacino as this guy in every circumstance and we're okay with it we want to see him be Al Pacino as Scarface yeah Al Pacino as Heat Al Pacino as this or that um I don't think you can say that he's underrated because the dude's had one of the greatest careers ever of all time yeah. of, of, of all time and and the fact that he's not really working now I think he's just kind of old and tired and I Definitely. think that that in general so is his you can't do a great ass when you're like 80 years old. I think he and De Niro are both like 73-ish, 74-ish. Yeah. They're like in their early to mid-70s. It's late. You're, all, you're fucking tired. Yeah, at that point for sure. You know? Yeah, for me, because... So, so you know, don't like Scarface. I hate Scarface. Yeah. <laughs> I can't fucking stand that movie. Though I think he does a great job in it. I just hate that movie. Okay. Um, Pacino and De Niro, for people who don't follow them as much as they follow the action-adventure genre, because they follow our show... They are the equivalent of Schwarzenegger Stallone to dramatic to dramatic yes, acting from there. Absolutely. Era. It's the same conversation. It's the same it is that it's that same one is synonymous with the other conversation. So Pacino, and I'm actually just gonna jump over, I'm gonna do my answer on Pacino and I'll start us on De Niro. I think they're both underrated. Right now. Yeah, and Even I'll tell with you with De Niro doing like silver linings and then that yeah. other stupid movie. Yeah, <laughs> one of these bad movies. He's the, both of their careers effectively end in the year two thousand. We should just make yeah. that clear. It's I saw Righteous Kill, but like he in got theaters. an Oscar nod for Silver Linings. Yeah, that's as much. I mean, he's good in Silver Linings. No, he's not. Yeah, he's fine. But yeah. it's but it's as much a nod to his career as D- it yeah. Is. Right. Okay. Honor. Yeah. Gotcha. But what I will say, and the reason that I feel both of these guys are underrated, is that okay. Will you go back to let's say the sixties is probably as old as our generation can really reach back in here because as you start to get yeah, back into like the 50s me, yeah the 50s and 40s there's like three names if if you want to be a person that references movies made in the 50s 60s and 70s you have to go out of your way to do that now and if you want to be somebody them. who references movies in the 30s 40s 50s it's like you're literally it's a, like history a history buff. degree yeah yeah because honestly guys think about it these guys are 73 and they were making movies in the late 60s okay and they were the definitive actors of their generation which means 
anybody making movies in the 50s is like in their late 80s by now which mm-hmm. means most of them have probably passed or have stopped working so yeah. you're not talking about somebody who is still making movies you have to literally reach back and be a trivia buff to get into like the Clark Gables and Marlon Brando's Brando died like what 10 years ago some people our age don't know anything about Marlon Brando other than the fact that he played the Godfather that's it Right, and he's considered one of the greatest classically trained actors ever, and some people don't even know who he is. He's, like, maybe the greatest actor ever yeah. to live, and, yep. and some people don't know who he is. So, like, when I look at Pacino and De Niro, I think these guys are still names that to 28-year-old guys today, they still exist, they still live on, and their body of work was relevant enough over their whole entire career that guys that are obsessed with movies that aren't even 30 still consider these guys to be two of the goats. Like, two of... Like, these guys, in, sure. my, in my mind... Warren Beatty fell off. He's not on the same level. No. Hackman was a step behind, not too far, but definitely behind. The only one of the guys we mentioned would be Nicholson. He'd be on their level for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, like, my knowledge of De Niro and Pacino's career is not impressive. Like, if I were to take, like, a really extensive test, I'd probably get a C yeah. on both of them, okay. I think, honestly. But I still will always always say they're two of the greatest actors that ever lived. So do you think that De Niro's over under proper? What's your opinion on it? So it's so interesting because there was some really cool shit about De Niro reading in the trivia that as an actor and and as the type of actor that I am I really respected about him. So like um, when him and Pacino were prepping for the final scene in yeah. rehearsal Pacino talks about what De Niro says like as a director which is super cool to me because first of all you're Robert De Niro and Al Pacino no one tells you what to do on set ever. 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 Especially not another actor, maybe the director. You know what I mean? Like, maybe Michael Mann will say, yo, can you can you tweet that out, please? Yeah. Um, Did you say tweet that out? Tweet that out, please, Al. Tweet that out. <laughs> Hashtag. What the fuck is a tweet? <laughs> what is a tweet? Um, but reading about the final scene and, and getting ready for it and rehearsing, uh, you know, Pacino reflects on saying that De Niro was like, no words. Before shooting it. That's what he tells him in rehearsal to, yeah. to Al Pacino? Yeah. Don't talk, Al? Yeah. That's what he says. And then earlier in the scene when there's the, the infamous diner scene where yep. they see each other for the first time, they're sitting down, they can't do anything about it. <clears throat> De Niro told, man, he's like, we shouldn't rehearse this. We should not rehearse this because it would not be natural for these two people. They would be awkward, uncomfortable, yeah. and it would be unrehearsed. Let's do it that way. It was one of the only scenes they didn't rehearse for the whole film. So, interesting, a couple, couple things to note about this. First of all, Michael Mann says, talking about Pacino, his seventh and eighth takes were always his best. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. Which is a cool thing. That it's, was their 11th take yeah. in the diner, by yeah. the way. Yeah. And that's like a very cool thing, like a very like specific thing. You imagine being a director, you're like, yeah, you know, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, do, do another take for me. I want to see you do it like this. It's like, what the fuck? Like, that's a head trip. Yeah. But uh, the seventh and eighth takes, he said, were his best takes. And then... There's a lot of controversy and have been, but now it's kind of been put to bed for a long time that they weren't actually in the scene together. That oh, because right. the scene is largely over the shoulder, they only go to the wide like a couple times. Yeah, I think it's just the dirty of a stand-in. And I think early on in one of the one of the uh, releases, they actually don't go to the wide. Somebody actually asked him this in the Q and A that I saw, and he said, "You know, honestly, in early in early edits, we went to the wide earlier, and what happened was that it, it felt like it diffused the intensity of the scene. Yep. That we really wanted to stay on those close shots because it kept that intensity going. We only wanted to cut to the wide later in the scene to kind of change it up, and that's the reason they do what they do. And uh, it is weird that like it, you only actually see them together in the same frame barely in this movie. Yeah, yeah, and 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 to speak on that and like to hear that De Niro is such a smart actor. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I still have to say he's properly rated because, again, how can you say he's, he's underrated? underrated? Yeah. And how can you say he's overrated? I, I, I almost want to say overrated with De Niro, but it's just because the last part of his career has been so meh. Yeah. But it happens to the best of us. It to happens everyone. to the best of all of them. You know, even Nicholson, Pacino, all the greats, they have those movies in the end of their careers where you're just like, what are you doing? I think my, honestly, my final answer would be that I think Pacino is underrated and I think that De Niro's properly rated. And I could actually make an argument for each of these points. But the reason I say it, I think, is because there was always an understanding between most people that De Niro was greater. And the reason there was the understanding is because he got to work with Scorsese Mm -hmm. and Pacino didn't. Yeah. So while Pacino is in both the first and second, and let's forget the third ever happened, Godfather films, which is more notable than pretty much anything that any actor's ever done. Um and he's incredibly, like, he's remarkable in those roles. Yeah, Sense of a Woman, Serpico, and Scarface. He's got those Carlitos way as well. Yeah, Dog Day Afternoon, yeah. you know, Justice for All, Panic Needle Park. He's, like, got a lot of these roles. But De Niro got to work with Scorsese, which the, means he got... One of the greatest ever directors. Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Mean Streets, Cape yeah. Fear, Casino, Goodfellas. Goodfellas. And you start to look at that, like... Like, how, like it, just those movies you said right there... If any one actor was a part of any of those movies, movies yeah. it's you've made it. Yeah, Heat, I mean, Ronin, he's he's in all these crazy classic movies, and he's got these great roles, and, and like, you start to even look at movies like he's in The King of Comedy, which is like a weird movie where he like tries to do something, uh, you know, he's in Sleepers, he's just like, he's this guy, he's like yeah. that iconic dramatic actor, the most iconic dramatic actor. I like Pacino actor. and Insomnia, someone was just saying that, yeah. I think Pacino's getting that. So that's that's my opinion, is I think in the end that De Niro is underrated, because I think De Niro... I still don't think the world right now respects and appreciates the young audience how great he was, yeah. whereas I think Pacino is probably properly rated. That's fair. I have another question, because someone just put it up in the chat. It's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, 619 Taken. It's kind of an ongoing discussion. Do you think this movie was snubbed by the Oscars? Yes, because... Absolutely! Yeah, looking back on it, I mean... How is this not nominated for Best Picture? We're going to run long today, but... Uh, no, they, they honestly were asking us to do a two-hour show. Really? We're, we're not going to do that. No. We we'll, might do something close to it. Something interesting I want to bring up. So, um, yes, it did get snubbed. 1995, Braveheart won Best Picture. Uh, looking back, I think you could make a strong argument for either movie. I think that you should at least should at least got nominated. Yeah. This is... People always will say, Heat is 20 minutes too long. And we talked about this a lot while we were watching it. This is like the age-old discussion about what would you have cut? And... I think when you when you come up with the version of the movie that doesn't have those 20 minutes, it's whatever. It's it, the fan version. Yeah. The movie is one of those movies that should never be changed. It should stay exactly how it is. Cause it's that's, a little long, but the, it's 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 you're telling a story, a full, complete story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is something really interesting that I thought about. We're the same age, okay? We're going to be 29 this year. I'm 29. You are 29. Yes. yes. <laughs> it was your birthday. Uh, I'm 28, soon yep. to be 29. I'm old. And... Both of us, like, so so level with me on this for a second. 1995, when this movie came out, you okay. and I are seven years old. Movies that came out in 95 that I remember seeing in theaters, or like right about there, Tommy Boy I saw in when theaters. When did Lion King come out? 93? I think it's, it's a little earlier. Uh, it might be 95, but it's right around there. I, I was still watching kids' movies totally. in theaters. So Tommy Boy I saw in theaters, uh, Mortal Kombat I saw in theaters. Those are like, that's about as adult. Yeah. Power Rangers the movie is probably around yeah, there. Yep, yep, you know, yep. these are the kind of movies that were coming out that I, I was... I definitely watched a lot more kids' movies. My awareness movies. of yeah. movies at that point was the same as yours. So what's I, really... I like them. Yeah. yeah. What's interesting is that flash forward just a few years. So think about the movies that won Best Picture. Braveheart 95, English Patient 96, Titanic 97, Shakespeare in Love 98, 
American Beauty 99, then Gladiator 2000. So by the time Gladiator comes out, we're 12. Yeah. So now we're at an age where we consider ourselves old enough to see like action, exciting adult movies that uh-huh. people are paying attention to in the real world. And from that point forward, any movie that comes out feels like it came out when we were like a grown up in our mind, right? From that point forward, everything that came out, we could probably can yeah, kind of remember. Yeah, because you you remember it so well. Versus any movie that came out before you reach that sort of cognizant point of like thinking you're an adult, which is probably like around 10 or 11 years old, feels like <laughs> it's so funny. quotations before your time. Like I'll bet you Heat, when I saw it, was not in theaters. I saw Heat for the first time when I was like 13 or 14. And thinking about this movie, because it was before I remembered, it felt as much before my time as like another movie from 95, Seven. Would never have seen it. Seven years old. Well, what do you mean when you say before your time? Like you're just a kid that shouldn't be watching yes. this yet? So like okay. you aren't able to see it. You're not old enough at seven to really pay attention yet so and really get what's going especially in seven even seeing that movie in 2000 five years later it still feels like it came out a lifetime ago because you don't remember it coming out versus take a movie like uh i don't know i'm did, trying to th- what? did babe really get a best picture nod in 95 probably oh my god so th- i've made this point before about sequels how like when we talk about like alien resurrection or like one of these like new installments in a longer franchise and that new installment that comes out during our lifetime we think of it as like oh it's the new installment in that old franchise not realizing that the previous one was only like three or four years prior we were okay. just too young to know about it right. so it feels like that was before our time this one is our time and I think Heat is that movie that comes right before we're old enough to be aware of it that it feels like this is like a relic of a bygone era. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like, if we were five years, seven years older, Heat would be, it would be one of those movies I grew up revering the way I do. You don't think so? No, no, definitely. I was okay. going to just say, here's my, here's my example. You remember Fight Club coming out, right? Yeah, of course. But you don't remember Seven coming out. Oh, perfect. Same director, four years difference. Yeah. By the time Seven comes out, we're 11. When Fight comes out, we're seven. Sorry, when Seven comes out, we're seven. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, switch those. It's literally just the difference of a few years, but your brain hits that point where you're and like... Seven was one of those ones growing up, you knew, it was like, I know I should watch that and then think it's cool. Yeah. But Fight Club is like, I watched it, it's awesome, talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's fascinating because like this movie feels like it's just part of a whole... This movie feels just as old as Silence of the Lambs, which is 91. It feels just as old as... I don't know, like Amadeus or like, you know, uh, the conversation like in the 70s and the 80s, like these movies that I just didn't see. I had to go back and watch them like they were an old movie that I had to go back to watch. Yeah. If you don't remember it coming out, you don't you didn't know somebody your age who talked about it. It's just a movie that came out before your time. That's all it is. It doesn't matter when it came out. There's like a range of 30 years that everything falls into if it's before you were old enough to know about it. This is hilarious to me. What? In 95, I watched Babe so many times because my nephew got it for his for birth or his Christmas or birthday and I hated it <laughs> but I've seen it like a hundred times babe babe and at that same time <laughs> heat was out in, in the world yeah and everyone was watching that but the movie I was watching got nominated for an Oscar it's amazing that is not okay heat's highly underrated and the reason is because at the time it the criticisms we were talking about Pacino kind of phoning it in it being a little too long do you think he phones it in Oh, you mean just like because you, you think he's so Pacino? People, yeah, people, yeah, yeah, people yeah, criticize. Yeah, sure. I've, I've heard it before, and the fact that it's too long. That's I a love thing. Kung Fu Hustle, by the way, and it is too long. Um, so, moving on to production development, Michael Mann is one of your favorites of all time. Yep, you know more about him than probably anyone I know. There was a period of time where Michael Mann was my favorite director. Period. Yeah. Um, he was like I had a hardcover book of like all these like production stills. I was obsessed. His career is pretty fascinating because if you go back to the beginning. 
he does a movie called the jericho mile in the late 70s which is a tv movie uh which is shot at like jericho prison it's fine it's whatever then he does a movie called thief which is a modern classic uh, it's one of these movies that if you know about it, who's you, in Thief? I James Con. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eighty one. It's like uh, people love Heat it, or uh, sorry, Thief. It's just so old and so low budge that it doesn't get as much attention as it should. Then he does a movie called The Keep, which is like this horror thing from like World War II. Uh, honestly, the only one I've never seen. It's weird. And then he does Manhunter, which is like that's right. The, that's a prequel to Silence. Uh, yeah, oh, it's, no, it's it's Red Dragon. It's like the original Red Dragon, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, which and is then, the prequel to Silence. And then after he does that one, he does Last of the Mohicans in 92, which is the first... Which is crazy to me. I didn't know Michael Mann like, yeah. directed the Last of the Mohicans, because Last of the Mohicans is one of my favorite movies of all time. Great movie. And yeah. it's also his first like sort of successful action movie. Another great use of music. And film. Yeah, 100%. So that's 92. And then 95, he does Heat. He does The Insider in 99, which great is movie. one of my favorites of all time. To me, that's his... Those are his two. I watched. I told you I watched that. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking so it's good. So good. It's got so many good moments. That's one on on Fist Pump Films Weekly. We're gonna do. Um, yeah. And then he does after that Ali follows that up with Collateral. Then he does Miami Vice, Public Enemies, and I believe his only movie after Public Enemies is that film Black Hat from a few years ago with Chris Hemsworth. So Michael Mann's career has kind of tailed off. He did a lot of TV. He's originally from like I think like homicide life on the street maybe is the show that he worked on um but and then you know la takedown he's worked on a lot of stuff but he's always been obsessed with like sort of the uh the realistic take on these films you know it's he's he's obsessed with authenticity and yeah. coolness he wants his villains to be really yeah cool. michael mann's real cool yeah yeah so his career is Wait, okay so you say he wants his villains to be real cool why do you think that is because i think his he thinks the bad guys are cooler characters right yeah. which is why vincent's awesome and jamie fox is a bumbling moron exactly yeah. and then of course the most notable thing about michael mann uh that i didn't mention is that he created miami vice the show Miami Vice, which in the late '80s was the show. Yeah, Miami Vice yeah, was like yeah. the mo- it was the biggest show in the world. And again, it was one of those things you go back and look at now. It's like all the bright colored jackets and you know ridiculous T-shirts. It's like it seems silly, but at the time, it was the coolest thing in the world. Don Johnson was the coolest yeah, oh, guy yeah, in the yeah, world for sure. Um, so that's Michael Mann. Uh, Art Linson is the producer on this. He uh, he produced all kinds of stuff, everything from Untouchables to Heat, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Fight Club, um, Scrooge with uh, uh, Murray, The Edge. Um, but uh, yeah, he worked with you know Brian De Palma a lot, David Mamet. Makes sense. Um, he directed a movie called Where the Buffalo Roam, which is a Bill Mur- Bill Murray fo- film. That's, yeah, I've uh, actually seen that movie. Me too. Which yeah. is really weird. Yeah, it's a it's a good one, and uh, it's it's like the early precursor to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. is about Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, it's kind of a weird movie. Yeah. Uh, yes, guys. Brian Cox does play Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter. Of course, he does. Everything's better with Cox. Everything's <laughs> just just add Cox. Just add Cox. Uh, all right, guys. Moving on to our critical and box office. This is interesting because, like we talked about, um, this movie was a little underrated. Yeah. Um, it, although over time, critically, it's 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 gotten to where it's supposed to be. So, the studio that produces movies, Warner Brothers, it cost sixty million dollars to make, which is incredibly impressive to me. Um, it opened December 15th in 1995. It was a Christmas movie. It made $67 million domestically and $120 million additional worldwide for a grand total of $187 million, three times what it cost to make um, a success. But it was third its opening weekend, $8.4 million, and that was behind Toy Story 2 in its fourth week. It still made $2 million more. No, no, no. Uh, you have it listed here. Number two was Toy Story. Yeah. You said, no, you said Toy Story 2. So it was oh, first, I'm sorry. Number two was yeah. Toy Story one. Yes, exactly. The original Toy Story, and the and the the number one was Jumanji opening that weekend at eleven million dollars. You know what? I'd actually be curious to know. Hey, Marissa, are you there? 
would you mind looking something up for us? So this was December 15th, which means this is the weekend before the big Christmas opening. If they release Heat, Toy Story, and Jumanji on December 15th... Well, what, uh, uh, Heat and Jumanji. So what opened... Well, I yeah, wonder, what opened on Christmas that was so terrifying? Christmas weekend of 1995, like what was the big movie? Jingle All the Way? Well, I think we know the big Christmas movies. It would, I mean, Die Hard 3, I think, is 95. That's the biggest movie, right? Yeah, but that doesn't seem like it That seems like, like a summer movie. Yeah. Braveheart, maybe? So if you look up this movie on Box Office Mojo and just click on its opening weekend, that'll probably be the easiest way to find it. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to know. Anyway, we, we will move on and then get back to that. Thank you, Marissa. I appreciate it. What was it. I going to say here? Oh, yeah. Where would you... Uh, Joel Hammett, where would you add Brian Cox in this movie? Just add Cox. Would he be John Voight? I think so. Yeah, Cox I think would, that seems the best. He could play a great John Voight. He also could have been uh, Kelso in the wheelchair. <laughs> Easily. Yeah. He also could have been... Uh, he could have been uh, Ted Levine's character. Just a random cop that gets capped real quick in the neck. Or Wayne Grow. Yeah. He could have been... I, I don't know about Wayne Grow, but I do like that the guy that played Wayne Grow, oh, when he that, went yeah. to prison, everyone called him Wayne Grow for two years. Of course he went to prison. Of, yeah, of course he did. Yeah, I think... I don't know if anyone's looked more like Ted Levine did ever. Did you see that Ted film. Levine was originally cast in the role? Yeah, and he said he didn't want to play because he, he was getting typecast, type which is a, a mistake for him, I think. You think that he should have played Wayne Grow? I think he went to a character that was forgettable. Bosco? Yeah. Right? yeah and then the guy that played Wayne Grow, everyone's like, isn't that Ted Levine? That's what yeah. I said. The character that plays Wayne Grow is crazy, He's man. great. He's real good. Yeah, he's creepy. I think, I think, honestly... Oh, it looks like we have it pulled up here. Uh, honestly, I think that if we were going to cut a storyline, it would be probably Wayne Grow's weird, like, psychopathic murdering of prostitutes thing. Yeah. Because I think that's the one part of it that's kind of like... You already get that he's a piece of shit. You already get that Pacino deals with horrible shit all the time. Yeah, and you, and you already get that, like, this guy, he executed a cop for no reason. Yeah. Like he's not a good person. God, you don't need to. So yeah, good. it's so good. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Congrats on leaving. I'm not sure why you guys are talking about leaving Las Vegas. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. So critical. So, so critical. We have this movie at 8.2, number 126 on the all-time top 250 seems, on IMDb. I mean, how do you feel? Feels very appropriate. Feels appropriate. I mean, th- this is a weird one because I I love it so much. Um, like I said, I. It's one of my 10 favorite films ever made. So, like, seeing it at number 20, 126, I'm like, what the fuck are the 125 movies ahead of this? Right, right. Like, how can you, I'll bet you there's some shitty movies ahead of this. I think Black Hat's ahead of it. No, 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 not Black Hat. Uh, Rush. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Though, though, you know what? Somebody just told me on Anchor. Somebody called in. really good. I think it was Jay Clymer Hammett might have called him with his number 46. No, no, I think it was uh, Richard Eric Jarvie. One of you guys. I've been well, they're both down. in the chat. So, one of you guys mentioned, did one of you throw that movie in your top 50? I think it was Richard. I've been counting down my top 50 favorite films of all time, one week at a time, on Anchor, on Anchor.fm, the app you can download. I have a show called Fist Pump Film Club on there, and every week I talk about one of my favorite 50 films in order on Tuesday, (laughs) and you guys have been calling in and counting your list down with me. Eddie, Richard, say what? You have it? So what what opened on Christmas? Christmas of 1995. Babe. Yeah, right. (laughs) You had four rooms, 12 monkeys. Really? Actually, 12 monkeys was on the 20th. But there were a bunch of releases on Friday the twenty second. Okay. So okay. Christmas weekend. There was Balto. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Cutthroat Island. Oh, uh, one of the greatest flops in history. Wow. Dracula Dead and Loving It. Love that movie. Rest Rest so good. Men, Sudden Death, Tom and Huck, Waiting to Exhale. Crazy. So it's just like a lot of shit. What a flop. That's we, what it was. Well, Cutthroat Island is notoriously one of the five greatest flops in history. That's yeah. starring that's starring uh, Matthew Modine. Yeah. And it's one of the all-time, like, costs, like, $90 million to make, made, like, $11 million or something. I think that was, I mean, everyone thought all those movies were going to be, it was just too much competition. Wow, that's crazy. That's yeah. insane. That's a huge flop just weekend. It's so funny because you go back now and you put heat in any. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, yeah. this looks like a joke. Uh, I do love Dracula Dead and Loving It. Um, so... 
Yeah, number 126. So Rotten Tomatoes, this got an 86, and 84, and a 94. The audience score gives it a crazy high score, where the others are still very high, which is unsurprising. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, I think that's pretty much where we stand critically. Yeah, that, that covers it. I mean, uh, oh, yeah, here we go. I, I Richard Jarvie. I actually called in for Rush when I was drunk. I'm so sorry for that. Do you still have the call-in? Because it's probably hilarious. I came home from the club. <laughs> uh, you were drunk. It was great, actually. You had some great points to make. Um, anybody that calls in to that something like an anchor while drunk, is a fan. I'm a fan of that's because that's like what I would do. Yeah, we've I, done a handful of those with, with yeah. some with slightly inebriated. Because I got to say, Richard, you've got great opinions on films, and your confidence to call in and share them at that point is what makes it so endearing. Yeah, you, you had good points to make. I actually, honestly, almost went to watch Rush the next day. Really? Because yeah. they were good enough. I've heard. Be, that's look, impressive. Movies that I used to complain were on the top 250. That I was like, why? What is this doing here that I hadn't seen? Take like, for instance, Prisoners. I'm an yeah. idiot. That movie's amazing. Oh Rush, yeah, you love Prisoners. Rush is probably great. Rush. Is well, probably- that's the thing. Is like a movie that's in the top 250 there's got to be something fantastic about probably, it probably always right um <clears throat> all right so moving on guys we are having a nice long show this is fantastic it feels so appropriate for episode 100 favorite line favorite line she's got a great ass that's yours right there all that's right. mine right there and it, i love that it's hank azaria had no idea he He's was gonna, gonna say, say it, it and yeah. I, I always love improvised lines that and uh, the De Niro one of like, uh, what does he say? He's like, you got to picture the heat. You got to know what's coming in 30 oh, seconds. Oh, like, uh, it's- guy once told me, live your life as though uh, with no attachments, nothing you could not walk away from if you saw the heat coming around the corner in 30 seconds flat. That is such a cool line. Yeah. Like, live your life in a way that there's nothing you can't walk away from in 30 seconds flat. Could you imagine that life? That's the original, uh, I live my life a quarter mile at a time, except it's yeah. the cool version. It's a, it's the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the real version. Um I could not there's always moments in movies and I think uh, my mom she always talks about why she loves watching all these forensic files and all these cases about gnarly murders and shit is because it's something you don't understand yeah it's like such a life that you could never understand so you want to watch it I could never ever understand a life where I could walk away from something in 30 seconds right like my whole life done and I just think that's such a cool it's such a cool line because that line alone tells you everything you need to know about De Niro's character. Well, also, so uh, they say this, again, there's stuff that you notice in the film that's, like, pretty subtle. So both Pacino and De Niro had been in the Marines. Um, yeah. That's, like, part of their yeah, character yeah. background. So I think when you think about this, that a lot of these characters, they had been in the Marines, they had had to kill people, in theory, in the service. Like, that was part of what they got used to doing as their jobs. They come back to the real world, and they kind of look at it. They look at the world, and they're like, okay, it's this basically lions and lambs mentality. It's like... I'm going to be a lion. I'm going to take what I can get, what I want. I'm going to take advantage of the system. I'm going to live as comfortably as I can. That's what I want to do. Yeah. I'm going to take down scores because it's exciting, and that's how I know how to do it. And Pacino's like, you know what? I get a high off chasing criminals. Both their skill sets, they're pragmatists. They understand the world. Like, you're just like my fucking my, my marriage, my relationships. Who cares? I am after what I'm after. And De Niro's right. – this is actually really interesting. I was watching this um, – so Roxy went to that screening with me. She had never seen the film either. Right. So in the screening, when he goes, you know, when Kilmer takes that shot to the neck and he goes down and you're like, did he get shot in the head? And De Niro runs over and picks him up and drags him off. And come on, like, come on. You're going to be all right. Yeah. Be, yeah. Come on. Well, she was like, oh, he goes after his friend. And I was like, it's so interesting you say that because I had never really thought about the fact that like that represents exactly the opposite of what he's talking about. He sees him take a shot in the neck. It's like. He's probably down. You think that carrying another dude with, like, 40 pounds of, of money on his arm is, like, the, your best chance of getting away? And then I was thinking, I was like, okay, maybe he sees him as he sees him as an asset worth saving because he's got such a skill set that he's probably, to save him, he's more valuable to help him. Right. Like, I think that you grab that dude, <clears throat> a lot of things happen. 
you got another bag of money if he dies. That dude's your body shield. Yep. Um, that guy's got another fully automatic weapon. He's not useless. You know, like there's a lot of shit behind it to where you're like, okay, maybe there's. A, I thought the same thing. He's not just saving him, him as his friend. Yeah, but, but I think he he's, is partly saving I, him as I, his I, friend. A hundred percent think he's saving him as his friend. But I think if it's like, yo, uh, McCarty, what's his name again in the movie? Hannah Macaulay. He, yeah, Macaulay. Why did, yeah. why did you go back and help him out? Yeah, he'd be like, oh, you know, I, I helped him out because uh, he had another gun, he had the money, and uh, he had some yeah. more bullets. But, like, if it was, like, his wife, he'd be like, because he's my friend. He even goes, even when he says to, to John Voight, when he's like, where's Chris? He's like, he took off. He's like, it's a free country, brother. You know, and he's yeah. like, it's like, I think it's I think that he's not quite as hard as he makes himself out to be. I think definitely not. I mean, that's, if he was as hard as he made himself out to be, he wouldn't go and kill Wayne Grow. And he also wouldn't have gone back for Edie. No. He would have taken off. Yeah. He would have gotten the fuck out of town as fast as he could have. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, uh, favorite line. Favorite line. So, what's your favorite line, Ben? (sighs) Come on. Just like Fist Pump, where I have such a hard time with it. So, a lot of the lines in this movie that I love are the ones that are just like, they're like the very random little, little deliveries that are sort of like Michael Mann being like, oh, I actually liked the sort of fluidity of that take. Like, I love when they get to the crime scene and uh, Pacino's looking around and he's like, you know, he's talking about things and he looks over at the forensics girl and he's like, get your hand out of that man's pocket, Rachel. And he says it like in this offhanded way where you're like, okay, Rachel must be a forensics operator who like gets her hands all over the crime scene a little too much while she's taking pictures and he knows this. Right. And he's not mad about it, but he kind of says it. He's like, you got a reminder. Yeah, I love lines like that. Or uh, one of my favorites is when De Niro sees Ashley Judd with Hank Azaria in the hotel room, and he goes up and he's like, "You will give Chris another chance." And then she's like, "I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it." And he looks at her and he's like, "Clean up. Go home. Yeah, clean up. She go home." Anything. And he goes, "Clean, clean up, up. Go home." Yeah. And you're like, just like, it's not like uh, we actually. This is one detail that I really appreciate in this movie is that you do see Kilmer jump over and like run over at Ashley Judd at that one point when they're arguing. Gets yeah. in her face. He's aggressive. But he never even remotely moves. He would never him. hit her. He keeps the distance. Yep. He's like aggressive, but he just storms out. And I like that about both characters. That like, there's no part of either of these characters that would put hands on a woman. They're, every character is honorable. Yeah, exactly. They all seem like they have that code of honor, which is I think what's so endearing about their characters. But yeah, I think Clean Up Go Home is, has always been one of my favorites. Clean Up Go Home. Yeah, it's always been one of my favorites. But you definitely just have like I do love the. the dead man on the other line of this fucking yeah, phone you know what I'm talking to is an empty yeah empty yeah. fucking telephone there's a, there's so many weird deliveries in this movie like when Dennis Haysport's sitting at the table she's like I'm proud of you and he's like what the hell you got to be proud of me for and she's like can you handle it and he's like there's not a hot time inventor that I cannot handle and you're like what is that delivery Are right. you, is that like Shakespeare like what are you but it's like again Michael Mann's just like that's cool let's leave it in that's awesome yeah it's like, it gives character it it's gives a, character to these people it's just weird there's just like a lot of things like that that I think are really really cool um I love the whole movie. I also love when... Uh, we when just Z- got made. Yeah, we just got hey, made. Hey, Petey! All right, motherfucker! All right, motherfucker! All right! <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I love when Xander Berkeley, uh, uh, Ralph, is having like dinner with, uh, <laughs> with Justine. Oh, with yeah. With Pacino's wife. And he walks in, and he's like, Ralph, sit down! And he's like, uh, you can bowl my wife in her ex-husband's postmodernistic bullshit house. <laughs> But you cannot watch, watch my, my fucking television, television set. <laughs> so, guys, the first episode of the show we ever did was Air Force One, and we coined, sorry about you guys on uh, audio. We coined the term at the time "shit weasel," yep, uh, which had been an old favorite of mine, but it became a favorite of the show. 
And it's oh, about yeah. Xander Berkeley in the movie Air Force Which One. Which is also another rule for Fist Pump Film Club that we could probably add. Or Xander Berkeley is the yeah, greatest shit weasel of all time. He's the greatest shit weasel of all time because on episode one and a hundred, there you got Xander Berkeley being a shit weasel. He's got such a great shit weasel ponytail in this movie. Yeah. He's just great. He's also in Terminator 2 as a great shit weasel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So good. He's a wonderful shit weasel. Uh, all right, guys. So moving on, we haven't done this in a really long time, and we thought, what better than episode 100 to bring it back? Yep. We're going to do a classic recast of the four main characters, Pacino, De Niro, Kilmer, and Sizemore. Um, this is a modern-day recast, so this is taking people now and throwing them in the movie if Heat was made today. So what's exciting about this one, there's a couple reasons this is so exciting. First of all, this references one of my two thesis statements, which is that you couldn't make this movie today. So I don't think you could. If you were going to make this movie today, by the way, we didn't even talk about this. You know there's a prequel being developed? Of Heat? Michael Mann directed. Prequel being developed. Who's in it? I'm not even sure what the details are. I don't know about that. Yeah, me too. Um, but this movie came out at the time with the biggest actors in the world. This was a giant release with a huge cast. So it means we have free reign to use who are the biggest people. Like, we don't have to pull our punches and be like, oh, they'd never get that kind of star power. No, no. This is like, you can use you can all use the stars. Anyone. You can use the big, and I did. My, my cast is literal A-listers all the way across the board. So, so let's start with Tom Sizemore. We're only doing Sizemore, I Kilmer, De Niro, Pacino. love my Sizemore. Who do you got? I want him to sit back and play the fourth character. I want him to not talk a lot. I want him to be the guy that gets shot in the street. I want him to be the guy that you know is going to die. Nicolas Cage. Oh! Because he's creepy and weird. Because he's creepy and weird, and he needs to just shut the fuck up in a good movie. Yeah. That's what he needs to do. He needs to shut up for an hour and a half, an hour and 42 hours, and just slow play it he's a great actor that'd be awesome that'd be yeah. a really good casting choice I'm really happy about that um, so I mentioned this about Sizemore and I've noticed this before guys tell me if you notice the same thing he does this thing he blinks a lot and he licks his lips oh yeah yeah I, I think it's because of the drugs dude. maybe I honestly think it's because of the drugs it's in a lot of his films he does the lip lick thing he does it he's um, a creep yeah Sizemore my casting choice Christian Bale Somebody? Ah, someone just cast Bale as Macaulay. So, but I'd seen Bale's name pop up a lot. Oh, oh, dude, two different people just cast Bale as uh, De Niro and uh, and uh, uh, Pacino. Opposite. I'll tell, when we get to Pacino, De Niro, we'll explain. Sizemore, why. Sean Bean. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. That's really good. I don't think you could do Pacino or De Niro as Bale, and I'll explain why in a minute. But the reason that I think Bale is so perfect as Sizemore, he's very good at not saying a lot. He's good at being quiet, like having quiet rage, mm-hmm. and he also is good at like putting on weight and being like a little sloppy. Yep. So I think you'd want him to put on like twenty, thirty pounds be a little bit balding and be like a real fucking creepy supporting character i think it'd be awesome he's too intense in his best moments to play either of the leads in this movie yeah for me. it'd be too much it's the same reason i wanted to cast jackman and i didn't is like i just his it's, best it's too much qualities are his intensity and the two leads have to be pretty pretty like calm overall kind of it's not even calm i think it's like uh because pacino's not calm but he's so sure of himself and the way he does great ass. Yeah. It's like a thing like that is something that when Pacino does that, you're like, okay. Yeah. Whereas like Christian Bale does it. You're like, Jesus. Yeah. It's too much. You know, it's too much. Jackman does it. So who do you have for Kilmer? Cause I know you and I both have the, well, so let's just make something very clear here, guys. In 1995, when this film come, came out... Kilmer he, was the most famous... Per, he, he, his star was like this. Everyone else's was like this. Kilmer was Batman the same year. Batman, he was concurrently filming both films. Yeah, so, like, getting Val Kilmer, he had played Jim Morrison in The Doors the earlier year. Like, he was at the top of his game. He was This was where he peaked. 
He had played Doc Holliday two years earlier in yep. his most famous role. So like Matt Damon as Kilmer. That's interesting. Yeah, you could absolutely have him there. For me, I put Ryan Gosling. And the reason is for several... And I, and I put Tom Hardy. Which are, yeah, that's like the it's obvious this, two... Yep. They're like the two guys. The hot A-list, pretty boy, like just commanding actors right now. So Gosling pulls off the smile and the shooting better. Yep. Hardy pulls off the picking up of the weapons in the beginning better. Yeah, just and, that look, and also the intensity. Yeah. I think I think that uh, Gosling's good intense, but I think that Hardy is the definition of intense, right? But Gosling, you need that pretty boy aspect because Val Kilmer was the pretty boy. Yeah, you know, and like seeing either of them fucked up driving away. Yeah, I go, I want because like he looks like he got like fat and like kind of like you know what I mean? Yep. Like that seems he looks gnarly. Yeah, the two other guys that came to mind for this role that I think would have been great: Joseph Gordon-Levitt is one. Yep. He would have been awesome. And Jake Gyllenhaal. Those yeah. are, those are, I think Ponytail Matt Damon is really good. Damon would be great. Yeah. Gyllenhaal is good. I yeah. like Gyllenhaal a lot. Yeah. So uh, I, All right, so let's pitch our pairs. You go first. Yeah. All right, so my pairs. Yeah. And I originally didn't have my Pacino as this guy, but I think the crazy works perfect. So my pairs are Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, yep. Mel Gibson chasing after Bruce Willis. Gibson Willis. Gibson Willis. Again, you got two of the most iconic action stars of all time. You've got legends in the business. These guys are still movie stars. They're not the same definition of movie stars back then, but they are still movie stars. Yep. Um, Gibson's fucking crazy, dude. And so is Pacino. Yeah. Like, that's what's so cool about this is that the crazy guy is the straight man. The cop is the crazy guy. Excuse me. Yeah, is, is who's supposed to be the straight man. And then the, the, the straight man is actually the bad guy, which is De Niro. Which is why I see Willis as very calm, cool, almost Looper-esque. Right. You know? And then you got Gibson. Just like, out on a rampage. Crazy Gibson's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's what I got. I got Gibson playing Pacino, Willis playing De Niro, Hardy playing Kilmer, and Cage playing Sizemore. Like, literally, like you said, N95, yeah. all-star cast. So, here's mine. I thought about this a lot, and the reason I the reason that I came to the conclusion I came to is this: if you're going to make this movie today, there has to be a couple things going. First of all, it's got to be astounding that these two guys are in a movie together for the first time facing off. Bradley like, Cooper. The whole world has to look and say, like, "Oh my god!" Like, you're putting this guy in a scene with this guy. I've never seen that. It's like a it's like a kitten riding a puppy. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. On top of that, the body of work has to be deep enough, and they have to have been as successful enough and an icon for long enough that the world is still like. They're not past their prime. It's like, oh, wow, these guys together makes this notable. So I changed it up, and I struggled with this, but I think it's right. I put Denzel in the Robert De Niro role, okay, and I put Will Smith in the Pacino role. But let me explain. Let me explain. Because I, I thought about this a lot, and Will Smith to me was like, that, that was the one that didn't ring true at first. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, all right, so any studio is going to say, you put Will Smith and Denzel in a big crime epic, We'll make the movie. People right. will see the movie. So that happens. I know Denzel has the depth to play like a former convict, like brilliant, you know, prison robber directed by a great director. He'll turn in an Oscar worthy performance as, as De Niro. Then Will Smith, when I think about the best Will Smith dramatic roles, the ones where he's actually good, like yeah. Pursuit of Happiness or I Am Legend, yeah, his intensity is amazing. He's yeah. really good. Like his, his, he's a great actor when he gets the role to act like that. So I actually think that you make... He's already in his 40s, late 40s, I think. You put some makeup on him. You make Will Smith, like, not a six-pack dude. You make him, like, a little bit out of shape. You make him, like, a really legitimate cop. 
who's cold. He's a little bit of a villain. You know what I mean? Not like a Deadshot villain, but an actual villain where he's like kind of just like shitty, like bad to his wife and kind of like a coke yeah. habit or an alcoholic. And the two of them together <clears throat> in this movie, I think works because my initial choice was DiCaprio instead of Will Smith, DiCaprio versus Denzel, which is the same thing, yeah. except that doesn't work because you can't make the criminal bad guy a black man and the good guy cop a white man yeah, the world doesn't see anymore the, yeah. the world won't see the movie uh all right so here's my thing with that <clears throat> i don't see it and i don't like it okay but yeah if he were to do it correctly i think i would love it right i think if will smith plays the broken coke addict cop that's shitty to his wife and he takes it seriously like he used to take acting seriously yep that's awesome. Amazing. It's a really good movie. And I know he could pull it off. I, I know he could. Exactly. But the thing is, is would he? Yeah, Given would the he. position, would he Would he revert to classic Will? Yeah. Or would he sit there and it would swallow ruin, the pill? It would ruin the movie. Yeah. Uh, guys, hashtag Master Recaster at AMA Podcast. Let us know who you like the, the recast more. Again, Ben has got Will Smith in Pacino's role. Denzel in, in uh, De Niro's role. You've got Brian Gosling in uh, Kilmer's role, and then who was your uh, Christian Bale? Christian Tom Bale in Sizemore, and then I've got Gibson, Willis, Hardy, and Cage in those same roles. Let us know what you think, guys. Uh, a couple people said Sean Penn would be great for Pacino. Yeah, That's a really good one. Really good. Uh, ben Foster was thrown around a lot. He'd have to be Kilmer, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Liam Neeson was thrown out there a lot for uh, De Niro's role, which I think is interesting. Sick. That's cool. Yeah, a lot of people had uh, Sean Penn against uh, Neeson. That'd be a great one. Be interesting. Un- unfortunately, like <clears throat> you look at the movies those guys have done recently, and you look like they're just the movie doesn't get made if it's those two guys. Unfortunately, yeah. it has yeah, to be. Exactly. You have to have. That's why I went with the guys I want. You have to have the box office, the all time sort of box office, like wow, wow factor. Otherwise, you yeah, can't like make. both of those casts. <clears throat> that we both presented would be like yeah. holy shit like that's huge those guys are all and that's what you need to see like in 95 that's what happened and it's Chris Nolan directing like for like that's how it has absolutely. to happen absolutely or I mean or Mike or Lynch Lynch or man Lynch or man Fincher Fincher or man. excuse me <laughs> Fincher or man David Lynch eh? <laughs> yeah David Lynch uh all right, so I guess that moves us on to the categories, which is, I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, there's three categories in action movies, guys. There's totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. Uh, just in case it's the first time, totally legitimate movies like Terminator 2. The Fugitive. And, you know, Lone Survivor. Gladiator. They, they hold yeah. together. They don't really make you laugh unintentionally. Totally ridiculous are movies like Con Air and Face Off. They're silly. They're awesome, but they're pretty silly. And then ridiculously legitimate is the middle category where you laugh kind of unintentionally here and there, but there's at least one really strong component, a great character, a plot line that's driving the film. And uh, that's going to be movies like Predator and Point Break and some of our favorites. For me, this movie is clearly totally legitimate. Like, no question. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's no debating it. Yeah. There's nothing not real about this movie. Yep. It is 100% totally legit. So, yeah, yep. that's that. That's it. So, guys, there's only one thing left to do on our 100th episode here, and that is called The Pitch. And it's weird. We've been planning so much for the 100th episode and shooting this so film. so much work that we didn't do work for this. The, yeah, we just kind of figured, like, there's a bunch of options for next week, and I think we're going to put up a poll and see what you guys want to see. We thought about doing the original Mummy with Brendan Fraser. We thought about doing another Alien movie or Prometheus or Covenant, but Ben didn't love Covenant. Yeah, so. we'll, we'll see. I, we could do one of those. We'll still, we'll still talk about it. So we're going to post a uh, poll on the Twitter. Follow the Twitter at AMA Podcast. That's where you can find us if you guys want to vote on that. Yep. That'll be posted for the next 48 hours. You can find me personally at Ben Bateman Media. You guys can find me at Andrew Guy, who apparently was the master recaster this week I in live chat. I'm just saying. You guys have no imagination. 
Uh, so racist. No, just kidding. Um, no. So long story short, guys, tune in tomorrow and the next day. We're taking the hundred films on AMA. Oh my god, we did it. And ranking them backwards, 100 through 1, you'll see 100 through 51 tomorrow, and 50 through 1. And on top of that, we came up with awards, like best episode, greatest hero, favorite line, all Rookie these things. Rookie of the year, yeah, comeback player of the year, things like that. We debut all of that stuff on the next two shows, guys, so uh, so tune in for that. You can find, obviously, the Facebook group. There's a Facebook fan page now. Go find it uh, on Facebook, the Action, Action Movie Anatomy fan page. Fan page yep. And uh, go find us on the Schmodown as well. On June 13th, we're making our third match reappearance against Late to the Party. The, uh, they're the recap uh, reaction video guys, and uh, it's going to be their debut match. Yeah, we're going to crush them. We're going we're gonna to literally kill them we're in their beds before the match. On their couch they watch us on. Yeah, exactly. So it's uh, gonna be good. Thanks again to Diana for sending us a bottle. Thanks again to everyone for watching us for 100 episodes. Thanks, Diana. Thanks, man. This yeah. is something really cool you and I did together. I got nothing left in here, but I'm going to cheers you anyway. I'll give you a little. I don't have anything left either. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Bye, guys. See you next week. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.